Corinthians, he, he brings his own concerns to the people. He's concerned about different aspects, their, their unity, their sexual morality, how they are conducting themselves. And then the next part of the letter changes from Paul's concerns to answering their questions. And it seems as though the Corinthians have had a series of questions that they've brought to Paul. And Paul is now answering those questions. And as I was preparing this, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that letter? To have that letter that the Corinthians wrote to Paul, to see exactly what those questions were. And I thought, I might get a much better idea of it, and that would be very helpful. And then I remember, well, God in his sovereignty didn't give us that letter. But, but we have got enough to get a really good idea of what's going on. And so this chapter 8 is, is Paul, he's, he's moving on now from uh, the questions that were raised in, in chapter 7, which was uh, about sexual relations, it was about how you lived, and now he's, he's moving on to this question, the next question has, and it's concerning food offered to idols, concerning food offered to idols. Now, I don't know how often you come across food that's been offered to idols. I don't know if you've been in the shop and you've seen the notice saying food offered to idols. Uh, I don't think it's sort of happened so much in, in this part of the world. Maybe in some parts of the world it is an issue, but back in Corinth, back those 2,000 years ago, the, the, the Greeks and the Romans would have been making sacrifices. And they would be making sacrifices to their idols, to their gods. And what they would have done when they had a sacrifice, they would have slaughtered an animal, and they would have burnt up on the altar the less desirable parts of the animal. So, so the bits they didn't like eating so much would have gone on there. So I, I don't know what parts of the animal you do or don't like eating, but for some people, the, the offal, the, 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 the liver, the kidneys, the hooves, those bits would, would have been burnt away. And then they, they would have kept the nice chunky steak, the nice big meaty bits would have been kept, and they would have kept the best bits for themselves, and some of that would have been eaten there and then at a festival, at a big party, a big feast, and then other bits may have been sold off in the market. And, and so a lot of the meat that was sold in the marketplaces was meat that had been offered to idols. It had been part of the sacrifice. And so these Corinthians, these young believers, this young church had some questions. And they had questions about this meat that had been offered to idols, this food that had been offered to idols. And I think that the, the questions would have been sort of like this in their minds. Is it right to buy and eat meat from one of these sacrifices because it's been offered to an idol of idols? Is, is, that, is that right? Is that, is, that, is that okay for us as Christians to eat meat, buy meat that's been offered to idols? And different people within the church had different ideas. And, and then perhaps we're thinking, okay, well, I, I'm not sure about buying it. That's me doing it, so I don't like that. But what if my friends invite me around for a meal? 
they, they invite me around. Philip Abbey invites you around for a mangal, a kebab, and it's there cooking. Two thousand years ago, you've been thinking, well, where did Phil get that meat from? Has that meat been offered to idols? And so, as your friend shows you a kindness, do you eat this or not? Is it okay to, to accept an invitation and go around to their home and eat this meat? And then at these big pagan uh, festivals, at these sacrifices, loads of people will be around the temples and they'll be enjoying eating meat and celebrating together. And, and if you're walking past and someone says, come along, eat with us, what are you to do? And so these, these were the questions, these were the ideas, these were the thoughts that these Corinthians had. So as you're sat here this morning, you're possibly thinking, hmm, what would I do? Would, would I buy the meat? Would I eat the meat? Would I go to a friend's house and eat it there? What would I do? Would I go past the temple and, and, and enjoy it? And that's this. What would I do? And I'm sure that if we asked you all around this room today, different ones of you would have different opinions. There'd be some of you that say, no, 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 we must not eat that meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And others you go, no, it's not a problem. I'll eat that. I'll enjoy that. I like a good steak. That's the possible wrong with that. And so some of you would have no problem, and others would be horrified, and some of you would work out a fantastic matrix in your mind of how doing that was wrong, but doing this would be okay, and that's fine. And you'd be some sort of halfway house in the middle. I can't buy it. But if my friend gives it to me, I can eat it. But if I buy it and give it to him as a gift and then go and eat it, it'll all be fine. I mustn't cook it myself. And you can imagine all these permutations that, that you, you come up with. And maybe you have done, I don't know. But what I do know is the room will be divided. There'll be those of you, yes, we can. And those of you, know that we can't. And those, well, we've got different ways. Because just like the Corinthians, we all possess knowledge. Now concerning food offered to idols, verse 1, we know all of us profess knowledge. And so Paul was saying to the Corinthians, effectively, you will have an opinion. You'll have an opinion and that will be made out of your knowledge. And I can imagine when this letter has been read out, yes, everyone was sat on the edge of their seat. What's Paul going to say about meat? What's he going to say about meat? And then he says, he says to them, we all possess knowledge. And you can imagine the Corinthians thinking, yeah, we do, don't we? <laughs> we possess knowledge. Preach it, Paul. We have knowledge. We, we know. And they probably thought the fact that he said you have knowledge, that they themselves were right. That's not the point that Paul was making. And before we dig deeper into the point that Paul is making, I want us to, to, to see from this passage, because this passage talks quite a bit about the two different opinions, the two different, what I'm going to call the symptoms. The symptoms. How this works out. This, this question has been asked because there are two different sets of knowledge. And the symptoms of that knowledge, the manifestation of that knowledge, is in different, seen in different ways. And Paul saw this question, and he realized that this question gave rise to a problem, and this problem was causing disunity. The people that would eat, and the people that would not eat. 
and maybe the people in the middle who had some hybrid. And, and the disunity was fueled by people thinking that their knowledge was exclusive. Their knowledge was right. And so we need to see what these two schools of thoughts were and what these differences of opinions were. And in verses 4 to 6, one opinion is outlined. And just to help us keep track of this, we're going to call this group the permissive party. They'd have seen themselves as progressive. They were the people that had freedom and liberty, and they would eat meat. And we can read more about them in a moment. We will go into that just before, just after I've outlined the second group. The second group, in verse 7, is we can call them the restrictive party. They would have been those that are conservative. They would have been those that said, no, we can't eat that meat. So, permissive, yes we can. And then restrictive, no we can't. And the, the, the permissive party would have said that there's no problem of eating meat offered to idols. And, and their logic and, and their knowledge that they had was they're free in Christ. We've been saved. We, we are free in Christ. And, and the main argument that they had was idols do not exist. Yeah? Now, obviously they, they do in a sense, but they don't in the big sense. You can see idols around Corinth. You can actually go to the museum in Lefke and you can see the idols that were, were there. And, and they're real and they're tangible, but they, they're not gods. They're not God. And that was a big difference. Their main argument was the idol does not exist. It is not God. And God is the greatest. So to sacrifice meat to a dumb idol has done nothing to the meat. And it makes no difference to it at all. Because what could that idol do to that meat? What could a lump of gold do to some meat? Nothing. And that, that was their logic, and that was their, their thought process. And they, they went to the Old Testament to, to underline their belief. And the, you, could, you could look at what they were saying and cross-reference it in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 35, it says there, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. No other beside him. No other gods. Nothing. God is alone. He is great. And then in verse 39, Know you therefore today and lay to your heart, the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. And so there is no other God. So this, this masquerading of idols and sacrificing them is just a joke. It's not serious. It doesn't matter. We can, we can eat meat from there. It's, it's not a problem. We, we, we're free to eat meat. God is the only one that matters. The sacrifice to God is, is different, and that's Old Testament stuff, but this is, this is just not meaningless. And they, and they took the argument further, and from Malachi 2 and 10, they, they, they thought of the fact that we have not all one Father, and has not one God created us. And, and, and they were thinking that as God has made everything, and we're made for God, then God, this meat is just meat. It's just a creation of God. And the sacrifice to the idol has not changed what the Lord has provided. And so for them, they were free to eat meat. And, and their conscience was clear. And they were happy to eat meat. And it wasn't a problem to them. And they were 
the progressive party, the permissive party, and then the, the restrictive party, the, the ones that said, no, they, they were coming to this situation from another point of view. And, and Paul says that, in verse 7, not all possess this knowledge. And so he's saying to Corinthians, look, you guys have that knowledge, and that's why you're doing that. And this restrictive party, they don't possess that knowledge. They have another mindset. And, and this group of people in Corinth, because of their previous life, before they were converted, they have a real problem with eating food that's offered to idols. Verse 7 again, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. You see, maybe these people had been involved in the past with the pagan temple rituals. Maybe that's what they've been saved from. And, and, and the sacrifice, and the rituals, and the sexual immorality, and the temple was all their old life. And God had saved them from that old life, and they couldn't go back to that old life. And all that wickedness in that temple, they couldn't bring themselves to eat that meat because it had been involved with, with all that wickedness. They couldn't associate with that. And it talks about their conscience being weak. Now, conscience usually means the, the capability or the, the facility of moral intuition to be able to think what is right and what is wrong. In this instance, they, they perceive the eating of food offered to idols as sin. That's their perception. And, and, and as such, they have a, a weak conscience because they, they, they can't do it. And it's their conscience and if they go against their conscience, they'll be doing something wrong. They'll be sinning against their conscience. They'll be going against their conscience. And so they are not free to eat this meat. Their conscience won't allow it. And they're not free to eat that meat. And they're not free to eat that meat because of their knowledge that they came to in that position. And I'm sure that there would be different positions on the spectrum. We've seen the two either end. No and yes. And there's probably some in the middle, yes in some circumstances. But you can imagine the conversations between these people within the church, can't you? If you're really upset about this meat because you see it as something diabolical, something connected to temple worship, you, you turn to that how can you eat that? That's diabolical. That's all caught up in sin and wickedness. How can you bring yourself to eat that? Another person turns around and says, idols are not real. You don't believe that stupid hocus pocus? That, that's just a ridiculous notion. How can that lump of gold, that, that temple, that, that person dancing around like a hyena, how does that make any difference to your meat? Enjoy it. God made it. Enjoy this meat. It's good meat. No, no, no. How can I? How can? How can I go back to it? God save me from that wicked life. How can I go back and eat the stuff that represent resembles my old wicked life? And the other person, get over yourself. 
that are so last year, that's so legalistic, that's so old hat. Just, just get on and, and eat it and enjoy the freedom we have in God. God came and saved us by his grace so that we could enjoy everything, have all things in thanksgiving, enjoy it and eat it. And you can see there's two arguments, isn't there? Two arguments from knowledge. Two different parties. You see, the, the, the primary concern for the progressives, the primary concern for the people that said yes was personal freedom. We have freedom in Christ. It's personal freedom. We can do these things. And, and the primary concern for the conservatives, those that said no, was personal morality. No. I need to keep myself pure. I need to keep myself right. I, I, I can't do that. And you see, friends, when these concerns are carried out to their extremes, I underline that word, extremes, when, when they when they carried out to their extremes, the, the press, the, the progressive, the people that say yes, the people that are more concerned about personal freedom, can, can get tempted into an unprincipled, licentious lifestyle. And then they'll just say, we can do whatever we like. And then the other end of the spectrum for, the, for, for those that are uh, conservative uh, uh, is they get, end up in, in, in legalism and an excessive adherence to the law. And, and their, their, moral, their, their, their personal morality, which is so important, becomes a, a hindrance to their, their, their own life. And their, their, there's legalism and we're probably reading this and thinking what has this got to do with us I was going to say Lamar it's not called Lamar anyway but Moto or if you go to uh, Dimmer there's no food offered to idols for sale in there well I haven't seen it advertised anyway and I've not heard of it in Cyprus this doesn't affect us here and so, why are we getting het up? Why is Pastor James talking about this? Why are we even reading this passage eight about food offered to idols? What relevance does it have to us? And it does. It really does. Because we can have the same problem with different symptoms. I want you to note that. We can have the same problem with different symptoms. The eating the meat wasn't the big issue. The not eating the meat wasn't the big issue here. That wasn't the problem. That was a symptom. Yeah? And, and, and our symptoms can be different. There will be people here, I'm sure, who feel, I can drink alcohol. It's not a problem. And there will be some of you here that say, no, that is wrong. We mustn't drink alcohol. And some people may think, well, for women to wear trousers is, is, is not okay. They shouldn't wear trousers. That's manly apparel. And there's others of you who feel no problem at all. Some of us eat bacon or pork. and Others may not. Some of you have a tattoo. And others of you think, how, how horrendous. How, how can a Christian have a tattoo? Some have liberty and freedom to go to the cinema. And some think, no, you cannot go to a worldly place like that. A man getting an ear pierced? How old? I've got freedom, liberty. 
The only Bible we can use is the King James Version. That is the authorized. That is the best. That is the version. Any other version is a perversion. I'm sorry I've heard it said. People proclaim you can't be saved if you haven't read it. And then other people just freely throwing it around. And, and hymns or worship songs. And there are all these things, you see, friends, this is a real issue that happens in real churches right now. The symptom then was meat offered to idols. The symptoms now is different. And so we need to say, what, Paul? Paul, what is the problem? What is the problem? What is the problem that's bringing these symptoms around? And so our second point, we're going to look at the problem. We see this in the third part of verse 1 and in verse 2, the problem. See, Paul is very wise. He doesn't start by answering the question, who is right or wrong? Yes, you can eat meat. No, you shouldn't eat meat. That's not what he does. He goes, and before addressing the symptoms, he goes to the root of the problem. And we go back to the beginning. It says, all of us possess knowledge. All the Corinthians possessed knowledge. All that congregation had knowledge. Knowledge wasn't the problem. Both parties possessed knowledge. But what is this knowledge done in verse one tells us, he goes, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. Another way of saying puffs up is pride. It's a visual way, isn't it? Someone's pride, what happens? Their chest comes up, they're puffed up. Look at me. And what was happening is this knowledge that they possessed was, was, was puffing them up. Their, their, their pride was saying, my point is, is the point. And Paul's big point, and Paul's big warning is saying this knowledge, this knowledge, not knowledge altogether, but this knowledge in this situation brought about pride. They're stuck in their opinion. And their opinion is right, and everyone must agree with them. I, am, I can eat meat and you should be able to eat meat because I am right. I know, look, the scriptures tell me I'm right. It says it here, it says it here, it says it here. I am right, we can eat it, we have freedom. You must get on and eat it. No, 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 no. I'm right. I'm right, I've been saved from this. Look, it says here, I've been saved. It says, put off the carnal things of the world. It says this, it says that. I am right. And both of them are saying, I am right. And why were they right? Because they knowledge. And they were puffed up. They were, they were stuck in their opinion. They must have others agree with them. It's manifest. I am right and you are wrong. My idea, my knowledge, my opinion are more important than your ideas. It's this sort of knowledge. It's this knowledge that brings pride. Now think about some of those illustrations I said earlier. Maybe some of them affect you. Maybe you're thinking, no, 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 no. My situation is different. No, 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 that, that, that's not right. It doesn't bring pride. Knowledge doesn't bring pride. Uh, my, my pet subject is different. Well, if you think your situation or your pet subject is different, you prove Paul's point. That is just fueled from pride. It's pride, and pride is the problem here. And pride is pointing to these people. And, and, and these Corinthians, pride is misplaced. 
because they don't know all they need to know. Verse 2, if anyone thinks he knows anything, yeah, I know it, <laughs> he does not yet know as it is necessary to know. Paul is saying, you don't know it all. You think you are a know-it-all, but you don't know it all. You don't know enough. There's, there's more to this. Paul is telling the people who think that they know it all that they don't know it all. That there's more to know. There's two sides to the story. There's, there's more here. There's more depth here. Your problem is your pride out of your knowledge. Your knowledge is, 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 is your God, as it were. Your knowledge is the big thing. And your knowledge is driving something. Paul says that's pride. And then that's the problem. And the symptom was, in that situation, to eat meat or not eat meat. And the symptom of that pride can be within our church lives and our church families, wearing jeans and not wearing jeans. Singing this or not singing that. Uh, going there or not going there. To tattoo or not to tattoo. There are all these little battlegrounds that, that come up and they're fueled by pride. And the devil gets in and he splits churches. And he splits God's people. And those people over there are not talking to those other people over there because these people over here are far more mature, far wiser. Of course you are, don't worry. <laughs> but you get my point, don't you? And this is what's happening. And that's the problem. The problem is pride. The problem isn't knowledge. It's pride in that knowledge. It's the attitude to that knowledge. It's because that they become puffed up. And so Paul brings a solution. He always does this, Paul. He brings a problem. He tells a problem. He hits the Corinthians. And then he says, but there's a solution. And so what's the solution? We, we read here. This knowledge puffs up. But love, love builds up. Whenever you see that little word, B-U-T, in the Bible, stop. You have to stop. Because there's always something big coming after that. This is what it was before. But, and then what's happening? And he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The antidote to pride is not to stay ignorant. Yeah? I, do, I can't do any learning, because if I put more knowledge in my head, it would be... No, that's not, the pro that's not where the problem lies. The antidote to pride is not to stay ignorant. The antidote to pride is not to, to, to ignore what's going on. It is to have love. You see, love is never destructive in its end goal. Its end goal is to build up. Its end goal is to care. Pride brings discord. Pride brings disunity. Pride brings fights around. And if you go back into history and just look at very recent history and see the conflicts around the world, it's because proud men have proud opinions and they will fight for their rights. And tragically, in churches, proud people have proud opinions and they fight for their rights. And God's name is dishonored. And Paul's saying the solution is love. You don't need more clarity in the knowledge as such. What you need is love. 
true love. True love brings unity. You see, Paul goes on to the Corinthians and tells them that they should love one another, not just for the sake of love. There's a deeper reason for this. Because they are known of by God. He puts it like this in verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This is wonderful. You should, you should remember this, yeah? Sometimes you might be feeling like, am I really a Christian? Do, 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 I, do I really trust enough? Do I really do this enough? There's all these dark questions that go through your mind. You might be feeling far from God. You ask yourself the question, do I love God? You may say, so I don't love him enough. No, do you love God? And when you get to that, you realize, yes, I do love God. And you can say to yourself, the only reason you love God is because God knows you. God knew you before time began. God loved you with an everlasting love. And God has brought you into his family through the, the precious blood of his son. That's how great his love is for you. And it's because of that love and because he knows you, you can love him. None of us come out of the womb loving God. We come out of the womb in rebellion to him. And God loves us so much that while we're yet sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly. And so Paul is saying to these people, look, you are proud and your knowledge has puffed you up, but you need to come back to love. And you need to see where this love comes from. And yes, you love God, but why do you love God? Because you are known by God, and God is love, and God loves his people, and has loved them before time began, and will go out to love them for all eternity. And if that's the love that you know from God, then how do we treat our brothers and sisters? How do we treat our brothers and sisters? We have to love them. And we have to love them because, as it says in 1 John 4, He first loved us. We love God because He first loved us. And as that passage in 1 John underlines, because of God's love for us, we should show love to His brothers and sisters, to our brothers and sisters. God has brought us into His family. And that's what we should be proud of, if we can be proud fact that God did it and God brought us we can't be proud of our knowledge but we can be proud and delight in the right sense of the fact that we are known by God God's knowledge is the important one here we are known by God the Corinthians have been told by Paul you are known by God and because you're known by God you love God and because you love God you need to get this love in your lives that is a love that, that builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And tragically, our knowledge, if it leads to pride, can cause disunity. And what the Corinthians need is to focus on the problem, which is a love issue. And what we need to protect ourselves from pride within the church family is that same love 
seeing where that love came from and be reminded that this love came from God the Father because we are known by him. We're brought in to his family. It reminds us of what we saw in that middle section in chapter 7, wasn't it? Where we keep hearing that word called, 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 called. Who called us? The God who knows us. The God who knows us before time. It just fits together beautifully in that way. And so the Corinthians were told that they needed this love, this love that builds up. They were told that this love needs to be motivated by their love for God and their love for God is only there because God knows them and God loved them in the first place. And we can all nod our heads to that, can't we? We can realise that our situation and our problem is, is easy, yes. All we need to do is, is, is apply this love and then how do you do that? How do you, how do, you do it? And so my, my last point is the solution in action. The solution in action. Or you could say love in action. And Paul writes out a remedy of, of, of how this is to work out in verses 9 to 13. And the first thing I have to point out is there is a cost to love. There is a cost to this. This isn't just like getting a sticky plaster out of a first aid kit and sticking it on and saying, well, that's it, finished. There's a cost to this. It's serious. You see, God's love for his people came at a cost. What was that cost? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the cost. And for our sins to be forgiven, Christ did what? He gave up his life that he didn't need to give up because he'd never sinned. And he took the wrath of God, the wrath of God against our sins upon himself. And that was the cost of love. He sent his own son to die on the cross to take the punishment for sins of his people. There is a cost to love. And there's a cost to these Corinthians. Love costs. There's a price to pay. You need to, to, to show this love. Uh, and Paul starts off, and, and I think Paul starts off in a way that the uh, progressives go, yes, because he tells the church that eating meat offered to idols is not a problem. Verse 8 tells them technically, for food will not commend us or condemn us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. Totally neutral. Eat meat, don't eat meat, it doesn't matter to God. Yeah? So if you're vegan, it doesn't matter to God. If you're vegetarian, it doesn't matter to God. If you're a meat-loving person, it doesn't matter to God in many ways. Now, now we can do these things wrongly, for sure, but just as a general principle, it's neutral. It's not a problem. And so I think the progressives are going to do their little dances. I told you so. <laughs> Paul agrees with us. It doesn't matter. But that's not the end of it. You see, Paul is saying, it's not the knowledge that's the key here. It's the love. What do you do with this knowledge in love? Knowledge can make you puffed up, but knowledge needs to be applied in love. And so he's saying, look, there are these people here and their conscience won't let them eat that meat. Maybe because their past is so painful that they can't do it. Maybe there, there is some sort of little wiring in their minds that makes them a bit more 
legalistic or pharisaical. But that's not the issue here. The issue here is their conscience won't let them eat it. And so Paul is saying, out of love for that weaker brother, out of love for that person, don't become a stumbling block. Don't override them. Don't belittle them. You're at liberty, yes, but don't let your liberty cause that other person to sin. Because if that other person sins, the weaker person is destroyed. And in verse 11 it says, that is a brother for whom Christ died. So yes, you're free to eat meat, but if you lord it over that, that the person who's struggling with that matter, if, if, you, if you eat meat in front of them and get them to eat meat, you, you are sinning. You're sinning against them. Verse 13, no, sorry, not verse 13 yet. He says you're sinning against them, and he goes on in 12 to say that you're sinning against Christ. That's heavy, isn't it? And why are you sinning against Christ? Because the church is Christ's. And if, if you're causing a brother or sister in your liberty to sin, you're sinning against Christ. And that's not the loving thing to do. You see, Paul models the loving thing in verse 13. And this is what Paul says. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That's love. And that's costly love, particularly if you like meat. And I think Paul did like meat, I don't know. But, but it, it's, 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 it's giving up something. It's sacrificial. He, Paul is saying, I have freedom to eat meat, but I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to go down that route because I don't want my brother to stumble. Because he knows his brother has been bought at a price. God's love. Christ died. On the cross for him. And so this is the example, isn't it? The example here for us is we need to put this love into action. And putting this love into action is costly. You have to deny yourself on behalf of your, your brothers and sisters. And so I just want us to quickly go back to our examples. If you're free to drink alcohol, if, you, if you've not got a conscience about that, now getting drunk is wrong, full stop. But you can't argue from God's word that you should be teetotal. There's lots of good arguments why it's advisable. And so if you feel that you can drink, you mustn't drink around anyone that's going to be offended by that. You must certainly not offer it to someone who doesn't. You don't know their backstory. They could be an alcoholic that God saved graciously and amazingly. And then you're going to say, here, take the poison. No, you've got to be sensitive. You've got to show love. And maybe as a woman, you feel at liberty to, to wear trousers. But you realize that in some circumstances, in some situations, in some churches, or with some family members, they don't like it, so you don't do it. You don't upset them. You don't grieve them. You don't cause the problem. You don't go, look, I've got my trousers, I'm free, I'm liberated. Why are you so backward? No, that's not loving. Lovingness shows, okay, I hate wearing these wretched skirts and these wrappers or whatever it is. But I'm going to do it because I love my fellow sisters. I love them. If you're happy to eat bacon or pork, you do it sensitively. You do it carefully. And maybe in some cultures, in some places, you just give it up totally. 
Will you sacrifice it on the altar because of love for others? We, we, we shouldn't let something like that offend others or make others stumble or make others think about it. If, if you will personally not get a tattoo for yourself, well, don't go around telling others that they're evil because they have one. That's not your shout. That's not your point. That's not loving. You may have very strong opinions of it. Well, that's fine. Keep them to yourself. Don't cause fights about it. They're not fights to be had. There are real fights that should be had. But that's not the fight we should be having. Let them get on with it. And if you have a tattoo and you're in a situation where you know that's going to offend it, wear something that covers it, please. Don't be offensive. Look at my tattoo. Wonderful to have a text on there, but you shouldn't be doing. Don't do it. Don't do it as in wind each other up. And if you've got liberty to go to the cinema or to go somewhere else, but you realise that there are others within the church family that, that they can't do that, that their background, their upbringing, that's awful. Well, don't invite them. Don't lord it over them. Don't say come along. Don't laugh at them when they they won't do it. it, it it's really interesting. I had a friend. Uh, back in the UK, and when he was at university, he was uh, doing uh, civil engineering, I think, or certainly an engineering science subject. And the, the guys on his course were all pretty much non all the non Christians. And at Christmas time, they said to him, Look, we're going to go out to the nightclub and we're going to get really drunk. But you won't come with us, we know that. What we'd like to do is should we go for a meal beforehand you can come with us should we go bowling beforehand and these these godless guys were saying to this christian lad look come out this first bit and we'll go and do our godless things without you the christian union for that christmas party were organizing a trip to the club and my friend said i'm not going there i can't go there my conscience won't let me go there and i wouldn't go there with my mates and all these guys would turn around and say to him, you haven't got freedom. You haven't got liberty. Who are you in Christ? And they were breaking him down and fighting him. And he, the non-Christians were understanding and the Christians were, were, were bigoted and, and like these Corinthians. And it happens. It's, it's real. And so we have to be sensitive. We have to think lovingly and caringly. And so it wasn't a matter of you shall do or you shall not do. It's a matter of thinking, where is my conscience? I have to hold my conscience. But at the same time, I mustn't break somebody else's. I must show love. I must show compassion. And if you are overly concerned about a particular version of the Bible, be sensitive. Don't preach about the version. Preach from it. That's, that's how it should be. And if you know that someone is, 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 is very sensitive to their version, and you message them, try lovingly just to send it in the version they like. Don't wind them up with the, with the message or the most contemporary street Bible that you could possibly find because that will teach them. That's not loving, is it? That's not kind. That's not gracious as it would be. I think possibly between the African culture and certainly the UK culture, the youth and the elderly, that they seem miles apart. And this is a great opportunity not to make us go further apart, but to show love and kindness to each other and understanding so that you, you, you're willing to give stuff up for the benefit 
and for the unity of the church. So do you get the idea? Do you understand it? Can you see how you can apply this to your situation? To your situation that you see knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And we should not be fighting or critical over these types of things. Our love for one another is what should shine through. And Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said to them, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Wouldn't it be great if the area around us here, if the people in Left Croatia knew that we were disciples? Not because we wore an LPC badge, not because we came from this building, but because we had real love for one another. Love that transcends culture and language. Love that transcends tradition or progression. Love that transcends all these minor issues of prejudice and a love that builds up. And people might say, yes, they're knowledgeable, but what really marks them out is their love 